Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Hey, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. This year, I'd like to play out for you a message on thankfulness. Gratitude is a key to spiritually healthy living. We have so many reasons to be thankful, but in this message, I'd like to focus on just five. First off, we should be thankful because God commands us to be thankful. Secondly, we should be thankful for the basics. If you have clothes, you have food, therewith we should be content. Number three, we should be thankful for the family of God. Number four, thankful for God's attention. His eye is on the sparrow. How much more does he see and care about everything in our lives? And then last and most importantly, we should be thankful for the cross, that God has made a way of redemption for us. So as God's people, our lives should not look just the same as the world. Rather, they should be marked by an enduring sense of gratitude. Here now is episode 302, Five Reasons to Thank God. Imagine if you're watching TV and you see a commercial and it's a commercial for a pill and the advertisement is that this pill is going to change your life for the better. It's going to give you incredible emotional benefits, personality benefits, social benefits, career benefits, and health benefits all at once. Wouldn't that be something? And uh, it's going to make you feel better, more relaxed more resilient, less envious, happy. you're going to have happier memories. It's going to make you less materialistic, less self-centered, more optimistic. It's going to increase your self-esteem. It's going to make you more spiritual. It's going to make you more social, kinder. It's going to give you a healthier marriage, more friendships, deeper relationships. It's going to increase your time management skills. It's going to improve your networking. It'll help you achieve your goals, make better decisions. Be more productive, it'll help you sleep. That's a good one, right? Less sick, this time of year, who, could you, who couldn't use less sick, right? Less sick, greater longevity, you'll live longer. You'll have more energy, and it will make you exercise more. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking, what about the side effects, right? In those commercials, they always have a list of those side effects, and it's just one after another. And this one has no side effects at all. Can you imagine? I'm just, I, just, just for a moment, imagine that, that there was such a pill that would just do that. It would just be like kind of like an all-encompassing, make-you-a-better-you pill. And that's, in fact, what the health experts say gratitude does for you. That's what they say it does. They say it does all these things. And so when I think about this, well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This tells me that thanksgiving, being grateful, does not need to depend on what's going on in our lives. I mean, if you're surrounded by family and friends and you're eating a big old turkey and it's cooked just right and you've got all, whatever side you like is there, okay? And everyone's getting along. It's easy to be thankful in that moment. It's easy to be thankful in that moment. But when you're driving home and it's a dark day because the 
time change and it's cold and you feel under the weather and it's, there's a traffic jam because somebody got in an accident on 87 and you're never going to get home. It's hard to be thankful then, isn't it? But what this verse tells me, give thanks in all circumstances, just by the, the nature of the wording here, is that gratitude is a matter of your will, not your emotions and not whatever else is going on around you. You can decide, in other words, to be thankful. And if you are, these benefits that I listed out will happen in your life. And so far as, well, let's flip over to Colossians. It's pretty close by. Colossians chapter 3. So far as I could tell, God is the designer, and therefore God knows how you react to gratitude. He would have been the one to bake it into the system, in other words. And so... Well, we don't see like the Bible listing out, oh, be thankful because it'll give you all these health benefits and all, like people will actually like you more if you're a thankful person. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't go out, it just says, be thankful, right? Look at uh, Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and what? Be thankful. Be thankful. That's what, the, that's what God's telling us in, in the Bible. Over and over, be thankful. He doesn't say, get yourself to a place where you feel thankful. He just says, be thankful. Do it. Express gratitude. Now, gratitude is not complicated. All you have to do is think of something that is a blessing, something that's good in your life. Right? And it's not, being a grateful person is not being a deluded person. A deluded person is the kind of person who has poison ivy crawling up their leg and you ask them, hey, how's your life? How's things going? And they're like, oh, I'm fine. You know, it couldn't be better. And, you know, you're like, okay, it looks like you have poison ivy crawling up your leg. They're like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not confessing that. You know, that's, that, that, <laughs> that's borderline a delusion. I mean, because you've got you to gotta deal with it, right? Uh, and if, if you keep itching it, what, is, what happens? It keeps spreading, right? So that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that we ignore the fact that there are problems in the world. I'm not saying that we forget that our world is broken or that we're broken ourselves. But I'm saying in light of all that, we can still have gratitude for what we do have and for what God has done in our lives. That's why I think it says be thankful. It doesn't say if you could try gratitude for 20 days and see how it works for you. No, it just says be thankful. And I think we just need to have that kind of an attitude about it and decide to be thankful. Uh, so what we're going to do this morning is a little different. We're going to have uh, these five different reasons. So the first reason, just to be clear, is that God has given us wisdom in commanding us to be grateful. That God's wisdom is for us to have gratitude. Number two, thankful for the basics. Thankful for our needs. So number one is thankful for God's wisdom in commanding us to be grateful. And the other, number two, is thankful for our needs being met. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. One of the things that we need is reproduction, growth. I mean, it's just so exciting that we have... Is there, is there a baby back there? <laughs> We have a new baby here today. Could you stand up, Cody? Just show everybody the baby real quick. 
Oh, look at that. Look at that. Thankful for a good delivery and a healthy baby, huh? That's wonderful. First Timothy chapter 6, in verse 6, well, there, there's this part where it talks about how people are using the things of God to, to enrich themselves and to twist things around. And then we get this little, little uh, bit here, 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But we ha- if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Two very profound statements there. The first, you brought nothing into the world, right, Landon? Landon, he came with just himself, right? And when we die, I mean, you can, you can try to put stuff away, but somebody will find it. If not now, in a thousand years, some archaeologist will dig it up in your mummy tomb, okay? And uh, then some museum will own it. So we, we really can't take anything with us either. So we, we brought nothing in, we take nothing with us. And so then the point here in verse 8 is that, so if you just have food and clothing, let's set the bar right there. Let's set the bar for gratitude right there. I mean, how many shirts do you own? Do you know that in the ancient world, they owned like two garments? Like when this was being, I mean, rich people obviously would own a lot more, but there were very few rich people. The average person would own what's called uh, a chiton, which is a, a tunic. And that's uh, kind of, you see, see Muslims wear this kind of thing. It's like a onesie for an adult. And it just goes all the way down. And then they would have a robe that they could put over that for warmth. And they have a, a little belt that they would uh, keep the robe together. And that's pretty much what you lived in. You slept in it. You went to the store in it. You worked out in the field in it. And clothes were very expensive. And you just didn't have, I mean, think about how many shirts, just shirts alone. Yeah, you've got t-shirts. You've got long sleeve shirts. You've got your button down shirts. Right? You've got those certain shirts that like when you wear, you feel like you're on top of the world. Right? And then you've got the other ones that are just like a little uncomfortable and you, know, you don't really like them, so you don't even wear them. They just sit in the corner. Right? How many shirts do we have? Each of us probably has more shirts than an entire village at the time this was written. Right? And yet, he says, as limited as that would be, that's where you should be content. That's where you should set the bar for gratitude. Where did you sleep last night? Did you sleep, any of you sleep in a bed? Anybody? Some of you? Some of you sleep on the floor, I know, I know. <laughs> we sleep in beds. That's pretty great. We can be thankful for that. How many of you got a hot shower this morning? Don't, don't raise your hand if you didn't get a hot shower. But if you did, if you did, I love a hot shower. I tell you, there was this time I was in uh, Africa with my wife, and we were, we were missionaries over there, and we stayed in this little apartment in Blantyre, Malawi, and there was a shower in the apartment, thank God. But uh, they, the plumbing system is different. You know, they didn't have running water. They had a cistern on the roof. And so it was a gravity-fed water style. And there was, no, there was no heating of the water. So the water was like old rainwater. And if you stood in the shower, it didn't, the water didn't come out. So you have like the shower head. It's the kind that's movable, you know, so you can move it all around. It's on a hose. And when, it, when it's up there, you turn it on. Everything's on. And there's just nothing coming out. 
So the only way to get the water to come out was to go like this and kind of like crouch all the way down and then you get a little dribble of water and it's cold, old, untreated rainwater. That was a tough shower situation. I didn't take very many showers, I'll be honest. <laughs> Baby wipes got me through, but uh, the shower situation was bad. And then then we, we come home and then we're, we get in the shower and it's like, sometimes it's like so much water pressure, I feel like it's going to blast my skin off and it's, it's hot and it's just unbelievable, right? And that's just, that's normal in America. We have a lot to be thankful for when it comes to the basics, don't you think? Most of us live like kings and queens. Our houses are weather tight. I mean, for a lot of civilization, that's not, that's not always been available. The modern construction materials didn't exist in, in, in ancient times and, and don't exist in other parts of the world. I mean, the fact that we could be in our houses, our apartments, and that is raining outside and it's not also raining inside, that's something to be thankful for, right? That we have heat, uh, even just like the inv basic inventions like the washing machine. Washing machines save us an insane amount of time. Without a washing machine, you've got to scrub your clothes. Without running water, you've got to fetch water. You combine those two together, and now you've got hours of work just to get your clothes kind of less dirty. And we have running water. We have cheap, reliable electricity. We have access to public education, a fairly stable government. And here's another thing I was thinking of that we have to be thankful for, is that if you call the police, they come. I've been in other places where you call the police, like, first of all, you don't want to call the police because the police are the bad guys. <laughs> so you don't want to tell them, like, you're in need because they'll make it worse. Uh, or there's just like, like, okay, well, we'll get to it when we can kind of a thing, right? Uh, Dad and I were in the, the Philippines once. We were at a corner store in downtown Manila, and we were walking in, and there was a guy standing out front with a sawed-off shotgun, just like that. You don't see that every day here, do you? You know why he's standing there with a the sawed-off shotgun? So nobody steals. Because if, if you don't have somebody like that, people just steal all your stuff. And you can call the police if you want, but who knows when they're going to get there or if they're going to join in or, or what's going to happen, right? So we have uh, just a ton of stuff to be, to be thankful for. Just when it comes to the basics, food, clothing, shelter, running water, a, a government that is not at civil war constantly. There's plenty of places in the war, world where there is war, and war just turns everything upside down. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Reason number three to thank God, the family of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 is where I'd like to go. I realize that in, in many of our lives, relationships are difficult. Relationships with our families, relationships at work, relationships with uh, friends or other people, neighbors. But God has given us certain relationships to be a blessing in our lives and to help us through. And that is what we call the body of Christ here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What we see here is that the body of Christ here, 
I mean, Christ himself is the head, and then his followers, his people, are the body in this analogy, this illustration. It says here that it's not dependent on your race or your status. That's the whole idea, or ethnicity, right? So in verse 13, it says, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. Now, in the land of the free, in a culture that pretty much puts equality as one of, one of the cardinal virtues. This to us is not surprising or radical. This is just like, yeah, of course. But in their culture, 20 centuries ago, to say that we're all equally members of the body of Christ, whether we're slaves or free, whether we're Jews or Greeks, that would have been extremely radical. They didn't live in a flat society. For them, you ha everybody has their place, and there's a lot of different levels of status. And what they're saying here, what we're reading, is that verse 13, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. The receiving of the spirit makes us equal heirs and members of the body of Christ. It makes us all equal, whether we're tall or short or smart or... Whatever you are, whether you're the funny person or the person with the style or whatever, it, whatever your thing is, you're, we're all part of this oneness in Christ through the Spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. And then we have the body parts, right? So let's talk about the foot. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smelling or hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And so what this is telling us is that we're not all the same, although we're all equal members of the body of Christ. We're different. We have different roles. We have different personalities. God has equipped us in different ways to do different things. And we need to be okay with that. That's a good thing. We should celebrate that, the diversity within the body of Christ. And trust that, like it says in verse 18, that what God has done, God has done. It's not just happenstance. It's not just by chance that whoever is in your local family of Christ happens to be there. God is working things out and arranging things so that the body will be complete. Verse 19, if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body. So what we're seeing here, once again, this whole idea of diversity, different roles within the body, different levels within the body, we're all different people, right? But what we see is that God is composing the body and putting the body together and really telling us to treat each other with the kind of respect and dignity and love so that if somebody is in a lower place of, of some sort, 
that they would be lifted up higher. And obviously also not to be snooty. You know, you don't want to be like the eye who says to the hand, I have no need of you. That's unacceptable in the body of Christ, right? I mean, that makes sense. We don't want to be snooty, but we want to lift each other up. And, you know, there are different times when you need to be lifted up and other times when, you know what, you're all right, right? And uh, that's something that we can do for each other. And then we get to the real punchline here in verse 25, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's huge. We need to take care of one another. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what this is telling me is that when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the family of God, we need to be there for each other. And in my experience, we are there for each other. And when somebody is going through something and they're suffering and they're having a hard time, I think of, uh, in, in my own home fellowship, a lot of the people have, have gone through a lot of um, searching for jobs. You know, it's a, it's a tough market out there, I don't know if you notice that, uh, to get a job and to get paid a decent wage. And so it, there, there, was, uh, there, there were many times where we've prayed for people who are searching for jobs. And, you know, it's a grueling process to go find a job, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you get your your resume together, and now you see what's available, you put the cover letter together, you apply, and your heart's in it. You're like, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. And you know what? They don't call. And then you do the whole process again. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. And they call, and they say, well, let me just ask you about this one thing over here. It said you didn't have four years of experience. You only have two. Yeah, we're not going to go with you. Um, and, then, and then you do it again, and, you, and, you, and, you, and you, you, you get another fish on the hook, and you get into the interview, and you do terribly. You just bomb the interview. You know, they ask you a question, and, and you, you, just, you just go blank, and you can't think of the answer. And then they're like, why should we hire you? And you say, I don't know. I just really want this job. I can't think of a... And they, the worst question is, what, are your, what, what is your greatest weakness? Talk about an unfair question, right? My greatest weakness is that I work too hard. That's always the answer, right? It's like, I, I just don't balance my life well. I'm always at the job. That's my weakness. Okay. Right? And then uh, finally you get into like the second round of interviews, and then you get the job. And you know what? If you're part of that body of Christ that's walking alongside that person through this process, it's time to rejoice, Right? And you suffer with those who suffer, and you rejoice with those who rejoice. And when somebody's sick, we, you know, we, we rally around, we, we, uh, or if somebody is going through something, and, we, and they, we, we bring food, or they're grieving, or whatever it is that, that somebody's going through, we rally around that person, and we care for them. And that's something to be thankful for, don't you think? I'm thankful for that. Reason number four to thank God is for His attention. God's care, God's individual attention in our lives. I was thinking about God that He is so immense. God is so huge. He is so powerful. You think of the size of the universe, how He just flung it into space, and it's still moving. Everything's moving. From the, the biggest stuff, like galaxies, the whole galaxies are moving away from other whole galaxies. In physics class, the way they illustrated this to me was, like pennies 
glued onto a balloon and you blow up the balloon and everything's moving away from everything else all at the same time. But then you look inside the galaxy and what do you have? You've got solar systems, right? And the solar systems are all moving and other ones are moving this way. And then within the solar system, you have planets. Like the Earth is not just still, is it? The Earth is rotating and every rotation is a day, okay? And then on the planet, we're moving, right? We're moving around on the planet. And in your body, the cells are doing stuff, right? You've got blood, which is, I mean, your heart is pumping right now. Did you know that? <laughs> if, it, if it weren't, we would, we, would, uh, we would jump on that. And uh, we have a doctor in the house, thank God, but uh, we could also call 911. But, you know, your heart is pumping right now. Your heart is moving right now. And that means that all of these blood vessels throughout your body are carrying stuff around. You know, they're carrying blood, but there's also oxygen, there's also nutrients, whatever you have for breakfast, it's like going places, doing things right now, depending on what you had. And then at the, at the smaller scale, just like a cell, just a single cell itself, it's a frenzy of activity. You've got the mitochondria, it's like the power plant producing the energy. You've got the cell wall where, where bad stuff is going out, good stuff is coming in. Then you've got the nucleus of the cell where there's DNA and RNA and there's cell reproduction happening all the time so that as, as little flakes of you fall off and we vacuum them up, new parts of you are made all the time. And then within one of those little organelles in the cell, you have molecules and within you know protein chains and molecules and within the molecule you have atoms and even a little atom the most basic atom on the in, in the in the universe is hydrogen it's just it's just one little electron but what that what's that electron doing it's moving everything's moving I, I know you're sitting there but everything's moving inside of you and outside of you and yet somehow you're sitting here I mean imagine the God who made that up I wouldn't have everything moving, but it's cool. It's cool that he did it like that, right? And I was thinking, what about this lizard here, right? Have you ever seen this lizard? This is what's called the shovel-snouted lizard. It lives in the desert. It's crazy. The, the kind of desert this lizard lives in can get up to 160 degrees. Uh, the, the sand can get up to 160 degrees, which just... Like, I don't even believe that's true. I mean, let's just say it's 120. And so this lizard is able to move. That's bizarre because the faster you move, the further into the sand you go. So this lizard has these really cool back legs that it's actually just running on two legs right now. And it's able to run across sand where anyone else, the faster you go, the more you sink in. Not only that, but because it's so incredibly hot, the lizard cannot actually stand on the sand. It has to, it has to do, it has to kind of do a dance, right? So it'll, you see it's got four legs there. Uh, on, it, it, so it'll, it'll stand on like two legs and, and then keep two off and then switch sides. Who, who made this lizard? <laughs> it's just unbelievable, right? But it, it gets better. It gets better. It's, it's, it's able to escape from heat. This is what it eats. It eats bugs. From eating bugs, this lizard is able to get all of its nutrients. It requires no water. It requires no vegetable. This is, this is kind of a dream for many men to just, 
to just eat meat, right? And there's the dance there. So we put one foot and one hand up, and then we'll switch sides when it gets hot. You know, lizards are really terrible at, at uh, modulating their, their core temperature because they're cold-blooded. So like, if it's hot out, they're hot, and if it's cold out, they're cold. And that, that presents a problem at 120 degrees or 160 degrees. Like, what do you do to not just, like, bake? So it does, it does this little dance, but then it's got another move. It's got this other move where it buries, it, it, it digs into the ground, and it can go one and a half feet into the ground, and the further under the surface it goes, the lower the temperature is. So even if it's 120 degrees at the surface, it can dig down to a comfortable 80 degrees using its sweet snout, which is like a duck bill shape, and its powerful back legs and its little front legs. And it has the ability to breathe under sand because air gets trapped between the sand molecules for up to 24 hours. So it can just chill, literally, for 24 hours under the surface of the sand. God made that. I don't know why he made that, but that's just one of the things he made. Think of the engineering complexities that would go into designing a machine version of that. How do machines do with sand? How do they do with 160 degree heat? Right, and they always need to get recharged. I mean, even if you put some sweet solar panels on it, I mean, it would, it would think of the ingenuity that would take to just imitate that simple. I mean, we all agree that's a simple, basic, just it's just a lizard, right? It's a simple, basic lizard, but yet the ingenuity that goes into that that's what our God did. That's what our God did. And the more I think about it, like, let's go to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. The more I think about it, the more I think to myself. Why does God care about us? I mean, some, someone who's capable of designing the shovel-snouted lizard, I mean, that's a genius. And the lizard's just like, just like one, one random thing, right? Out of, I don't even know how many species of animals there are, not to mention all the galaxies and stuff that's moving around. I mean, this is a big God we're talking about here. He's not, he's not like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or the fairy tale or something like this where it, like, he depends. God does not depend. The, the philosophical way of saying that is that he's not contingent. God is not contingent. He exists without you. He exists before you. He exists without anything else. He's Ase. He, he, within himself, he exists. And even if nothing else ever existed or all went out of existence, he'd still be there. That's what we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Well, I don't know what the inflation-adjusted price would be, but uh, probably not much. I don't know what sparrows are going for. And not one of them will fall to the ground, but they're cheap. You can get a lot of sparrows for a penny, I suppose. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. You see what that says? That says that the dumb bird that falls to the ground, God notices. It's like, oh, the bird fell. I don't even notice the bird falling. Do you, do you notice the bird falling? I mean, if you're, watch, if you're sitting there in front of a window and watching the birds and your bird falls, you're like, oh, no, right? God sees all the sparrows. It's a song like that, right? His eyes, I was showing that to Jacob. His eyes on the sparrow. Verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. 
Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I love that. It's so simple, right? The God who created the universe, the God who created the shovel-snouted lizard, the God who created atoms, notices birds and hares. He notices birds, and he notices not just hares, but your hares. Every little hair on your head, he notices. God gives attention to the little things. Look at over at chapter 6. Just flip back a couple chapters here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. God may be the almighty creator, but he cares about your individual needs. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Back to food and clothes, right? It is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Are you not more valuable than a stupid bird? Of course you are. You're more valuable than a bird, and God's taking care of the birds. Do you know that the birds, I don't know how they do this. Like a lot of them go, they leave during the winter. There's some, some uh, New York uh, humans that leave during the winter also. But a lot of the birds stay. There, there are birds that stay. And, those, and there are squirrels. How do the squirrels survive year after year? I mean, sometimes we'll have a winter where it's just like, remember the polar vortex winter? I remember that. That was when I was training for my marathon. It was just a terrible coincidence that it was during the polar vortex. And it was just like bizarre low temperature. Like we had a February where it never even got to 10 degrees. That spring, the squirrels are still here. A month in the, in the single digits and the squirrels are... Who takes care of the squirrels? Who takes care of the birds? God's just got it all figured out. You know what I mean? And so if he's got them figured out, how much more does he care about you and take care of you? Although we're thankful for all these different aspects of what God has done for us, most of all is that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he um, made a way for us. Let's, let's go over to 1 John chapter 4. God didn't have to be how He is. I mean, He could, he could have been different, I suppose. I, I guess I don't really know. But I think we can be thankful for how God is, for His attributes, how He handles Himself, how He deals with people, how He, in His track record of the history of redemption, has worked through people to solve the problems that have plagued humanity, at least to some degree. Uh, obviously, we wait for Jesus to return. First John chapter four verse eight tells us a little bit about God's motivation behind the cross. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's a short statement right there. If you don't love, you don't know God, because God is love. Verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how it was revealed, shown in that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's the, the principal way that God shows His love, is that He sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him. I love that. So that we might live through Him. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. When you were lost, when you were without hope, without God, the Scripture says that we were by nature following the course of this age, that we were influenced by the prince of the power of the air and full of disobedience, living out the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of our bodies, that at that time we were children of wrath, like the rest of humanity. And that's the condition we were in when God makes the first move, when God says, you know what, I know you've got problems, I know that you've got brokenness, I know that you have fallen short, that you haven't even lived up to your own standards. But you know what, I still want you. I still choose you, I still love you. And then the choice is on us. Do we want to receive that love? And if we receive that love, what this says is that we become His children and that we become lovers ourselves. And that when we are in the act of loving, that God is abiding in us. It's a beautiful picture. I mean, the most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I mean, the word world, especially in the Gospel of John, is an extremely negative word. It's, it's not just like the planet. It's humanity in rebellion and opposition against God. That's what He loved. He loved us when we were unlovable. And not only that, he, he gave the most expensive gift he possibly could, his own son. I mean, the only human out of all of us that have ever lived that always did it right. The only one who always voluntarily said, not my will, but yours be done. Day after day after day, that's the one he gave for you and me. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. That's it for this holiday Thanksgiving message. And I just wanted to let you know that I've been working very hard on a new series of interviews. I'm hoping it's going to end up being six interviews with three different perspectives on God's foreknowledge and our free will. So I think I'm going to call it Foreknowledge and Free Will. I've already recorded episodes on open theism and Arminianism, and I have scheduled to record Next week, an episode on Calvinism. So I want you to hear in this series all of the major options. I realize there are other options, but these are the three big ones. The, the first one, open theism, is saying that there, God does not have exhaustive foreknowledge, and we do have total free will, or also called libertarian free will. The second one is that God does have exhaustive free knowledge, and yet we still have uh, libertarian free will. And then the last one is that God has exhaustive foreknowledge and we don't have total free will. In fact, he chooses who will be saved. So this, uh, this I'm hoping will be something that no matter what perspective you're coming from will be very educational for you and also help you to understand the other positions that are out there as represented by people that believe that point of view and can competently express what it is that they are, what it is that they hold to. So stay tuned for our series. Hopefully I can start that out next week on foreknowledge and free will. We'll see you then. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.